time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Thursday, August 27th, 2020. Thank you so much for joining us whenever you are listening to this program. We greatly appreciate it. We get this program out Monday through Friday, nice and early, so people can either listen to it on the way to work or maybe uh, during their lunch break or whatever the case may be. But uh, you know, we know that a lot of people listen to this maybe a few days later then it comes out. That's kind of why we always list the date, just to give you guys some uh, uh, idea of when <laughs> the, the topics of conversation came up. Uh, I had a great interview with Bill Barnes yesterday. He's on every single Wednesday. Always fun catching up with Bill. He definitely gets me a little more fired up because uh, he brings that energy for sure. Talks about a lot of current events and things that are going on, a lot of policies, some politics here and there. Uh, we agree on a lot of things, not everything. Our approach is a little different, but it's always fun catching up with my good friend, Bill Barnes. He's here every single Wednesday. Well, part of the things I said yesterday, guys, I talked in the morning, or I should say the opening segment, really, about accepting responsibility for actions. And I then talked a little bit about the shooting in Wisconsin with Bill Barnes later in our interview. Um, I got to first say this. The comments I make in the opening part of the show, it's usually about 10 to 20 minutes, give or take, before I have the guest interview, uh, I just want everyone to understand something. I don't know what I'm going to talk about in the opening segment all the time. It usually has a lot to do with what's going on in the world of sports or politics or just current events. I mean, COVID thing, there's all kinds of things that happen on a daily basis that I don't plan to talk about, but when they do happen, I talk about them. So in regards to our guests, I usually record with the guests a few days in advance. And I want everybody to be aware that when I talk about something in the opening segment, it it doesn't have anything to do with the guest necessarily. I don't know what our guest viewpoints are, our guest views are on things, okay? So I know some people tune in to hear the guest, maybe who've never listened to this program before. And so it takes a little while to get to that interview. All right. I don't want to push anyone away with some of my viewpoints, uh, my opinions in the morning segment here that maybe the other, the guest who I interviewed doesn't know about. So I just want that disclaimer out there. All right. If you kind of don't like what I have to say, I totally get it. Some people tune in just to hear a specific guest. By all means, the beauty of podcasts, you can fast forward if you just want to hear that. It's all good. But I am being a little bit more vocal on some of the things I'm talking about uh, with current events, things like that. So that's just a disclaimer. And to anybody I interview, I try to tell them, listen, I do talk about other things. Okay, but and, and it may be on an episode that you're on. But please don't think by any means that it's trying to alienate you or push any kind of agenda. I just want to put that out there for everyone. Okay. We have on the program today, Billy Hayes, who's a two time college world series umpire. 
worked the College World Series in 2016 and 2019. He does a lot of great things for baseball in Southern California, all of California, really, I should say. Uh, he assigns multiple conferences, a Division Three conference and two NAIA conferences. He works. Uh, he does a black and blue umpire camp, which is one of the best known on the West Coast and nationally to kind of help promote guys and get guys to the next level. Uh, he worked in professional baseball. He worked all the way up to AAA, took a few years off, worked college baseball. Okay, there's a lot of things that I'm going to talk about with Billy Hayes regarding baseball and his umpire journey. And I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing it because I think there's some great topics in there where even if you're not a baseball fan or an umpire fan, uh, there's plenty of things that are relevant. Okay, but again, disclaimer, public service announcement when I interviewed Mr. Hayes a couple days ago and recorded our segment, I didn't know that I'd be talking about some of these other things here uh, in this opening segment. Okay, just so everyone's clear. I don't know where Billy stands on things. All right, I wanted I had him on the program to talk baseball. I don't ever want to, you know, blindside anyone with, hey, have this podcast. I got this podcast. Come on and be interviewed. And then during before their interview gets posted, I have some opinions they disagree with or whatever. Anyway, those are my two cents for, in that regard. Okay. On Wednesday, the Milwaukee Bucks decided to protest and boycott their game five playoff game of the playoff series against the Orlando Magic. They refused to take the floor. And I don't know what the NBA is going to do with it. I Just so you guys know, I'm recording this right after this has happened on Wednesday afternoon. Okay, so I'm sure more will come of this this evening. And this podcast gets posted. will get posted on Thursday morning. All right, so that's just kind of the time frame there. Okay, the Milwaukee Bucks have boycotted their game. I don't know if it's going to go down as a play, as a loss. They're currently up three games to one on the Magic. Uh, I don't know what, where this puts the Magic, if maybe they're going to support them or not. All right, I'm speaking to you uh, kind of right as this happened. Uh, the NBA, and specifically its players, they continue to do things that are going to push people away. All right, the ratings are already down for a lot of the, the policies and things they're doing. I, I, I'm even angry that I'm giving uh, them some thoughts today and some words. Okay, I completely get being upset over somebody being shot by the police. I absolutely do. All right. But much like you don't, you haven't heard one word about from the people that are upset about it. There hasn't been one word to my knowledge of the people, the LeBron Jameses of the world that have said he should not have resisted. They want to point the finger, push all the blame on everybody else. Okay, that's fine if you're going to be consistent. But when you do not accept responsibility, okay, or only look at look at something one way, that's wrong. I have to be aware when I look at things too, like, okay, I got to look at this from all sides, not just what my standard opinion is or whatever. It's much like these rioting. I, I have yet to hear people that are in such support of the protesting and everything there needs to they need to be a lot more vocal against these rioting it's inconsistent you should be the people who are protesting should be furious at the people who are rioting and destroying things because their message is now getting 
lost in, in, in all that. Yet you don't hear that. You hear some sides uh, denounce the rioting, but you don't hear others. And I don't know what the agenda is there. But again, my to, to the LeBron James and the NBA, you want to talk about what the police should have done. Okay, fine. That's your right to say that. You need to also say what Mr. Jacob Blake should have done or should not have done. So while you guys throw your little tantrum and boycott a basketball game, you're just giving more people that are already kind of on the fence about watching your product anyway. You're giving them more reasons to not watch you. People want to watch a basketball game. I don't. I don't need the NBA. I used to be a huge fan. I've been so tempted to turn it on these past couple of weeks. And I haven't. Because I don't need that in my life. I don't need to constantly be told what a horrible person I am. Okay? I know there is injustice in the world. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to that stuff. But to say it's this ongoing, everywhere, everybody is, is horrible, it's just not true. There's exceptions for everything. There's there's all kinds of of, of things uh, that happen. So it's like saying all rioters, uh, you know, all protesters are rioters. It's the same thing. It's like, well, no. For the past few months, we've had to designate which is which. We can call a protester a pro- a, a rioter. Or excuse me, we can call a rioter a protester, but we can't call someone out for for being stupid and not listening to the police. So, again, if, if you don't like what's going on here, I'm, I'm trying not to take away from my, my my interview with Billy Hayes here, but this is all very relevant right now because it just happened. Okay, on Wednesday when I'm recording this, I am very curious if the Milwaukee Bucks. And I don't know how all the policies were. I don't know if they refuse to play a game, if they lose any kind of money. Because I'm always curious to see if people are truly passionate about something if they lose money in it. Players have their contracts and this and that. I don't know if there's playoff bonuses. I don't know all those details because I don't really care. But I would be extremely curious to see if guys lose money, would they still be doing some of these things? If these guys lost, let's say, a game fee, and I don't know what it is or if they even do it that way, but would they still be boycotting and and refusing to play? I don't know. If something doesn't cost you anything, I think you're you're a lot more willing to participate. Whereas if if something costs you anything, I think you're a little bit more hesitant like eh, I don't I don't know if I want to <laughs> I want to do that so it's interesting it brings up a lot of points it brings up a lot of uh, discussion I'm not going to get too much more into it I, I just this happened today okay I also saw on Tuesday the Detroit Lions they canceled their practice because they were in such shock and horror as well all right let's not let's not go up let's not dance around the issue somebody was shot by the police 
okay? They're probably not going to walk again. But could the situation have been avoided? I could sit here and tell you right now, it's not just one party at fault. Okay? So we got to stop thinking there's this this agenda and theory and that, that people are being hunted down. It's just not true. The NBA is acting like the police drove up to the curb, saw Jacob Blake out there and just said, we're going to shoot this guy. It, everything everybody said, that's what everybody thinks happened. So you shoot a guy in the back. That looks terrible. It's hard to justify that. When you piece everything together, okay, it makes a little bit more sense. But if you're not willing to look at facts, then it's hard to have a conversation. There's how you feel about something, and then there's facts. I may feel or be very passionate about something, but if the facts go against how the way I feel, it's like, okay, I really don't have an argument there. So anyway, we're going we're gonna to get away from that for now. Cause we got other things to talk about, but it's just, just crazy time. We're seeing things in 2020. We never thought we'd see. Let me tell you, <laughs> if you could go back to January 1st, 2020, and I told you, I gave you a list of about 20 things. We'll say 20 things. Cause 2020, I think it's, yeah, I think it's fitting. If I gave you a list of 20 crazy things that would happen in the year 2020, you would probably laugh so hard and be like, there's no way all that's going to happen. But I got to tell you, there's still, we're only two thirds of the way through this year. And uh, <laughs> there's a lot more ahead. I know that. And it, it's just crazy to think about. It's just absolutely nuts. Ugh. Anyway, well, guys, as I mentioned, Billy Hayes is on the program today. And Billy's worked the College World Series twice. And during our discussion, we talked about Omaha and the College World Series. And it got me thinking, and I, I told Billy about my experience in going to the College World Series, not as an umpire, but as a spectator. When I graduated college in 2008, my good friend Todd Carson and I went to Omaha, Nebraska for 10 days and watched college baseball games at the College World Series. Usually two games a day, and it was a blast. And that was the year Fresno State went on a magical one and, and uh, run and won the whole thing. So really memorable experience for Todd and I. I still think to this day of all the sporting events I've gone to, it is hands down the best experience I've ever had at a sporting event. I think it's the best sporting event out there. I'm sure there's plenty of people that will disagree with me, but this was when they were playing at Rosenblatt Stadium. And they've now moved into TD Ameritrade, which is where Billy has worked a couple of his World Series. But if you get a chance, you got to get down there. You got to get to Omaha in the summer sometime during the College World Series. It's such an event. I feel so bad for those people this year and not having that because the city of Omaha embraces it. It puts their city on the map for two weeks every summer. It's this destination for every college baseball team. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. So uh, of all the different sporting event bucket lists I have, I was fortunate that I got to experience that one pretty early in my young adulthood. 
I mean, some of the other ones I'd like, to, I'd love to get to an army Navy football game. I think that one's pretty amazing. Uh, a super bowl. That's definitely up there. A, a world series game. A lot of my friends got to do that in recent years when the Dodgers were in it. Um, so that's on there. there. There's a few sporting events like that. March Matt, I go to a final four, watch all, all three of the final four games, the two Saturday and the one Monday. I think these are events that I would love to get to someday. But the College World Series, man, I, I tell you, even if you're not a college baseball fan, that's the other thing. It, it's just one big event, one big party, uh, a great time. I, I can't say it enough. I really can't. Todd and I to this day still talk about uh, memories from that, from our time there. And it's just truly amazing. And so uh, Billy Hayes is definitely going to talk about his experiences in Omaha at the College World Series, getting to work two of them uh, in, in two and four years is pretty, pretty amazing. And, um, because there was no college world series in 2020, you know, Billy Hayes has worked the most recent college world series back in 2019. So, uh, we're going to chat about that and a lot of baseball today. So stay tuned for some fun baseball chat here with Mr. Billy Hayes. Um, again, we're going to talk about his black and blue camps, kind of his time in professional baseball, really fun conversation. So, for those of you that are new to this program and just chimed in to hear Billy, uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And for those of you who are loyal listeners, avid listeners, have been here a lot, um, I think you guys are really going to like this. Uh, more of the similar guests we've had on the program kind of reminded me of our interview that I had with uh, Tony Padilla, the NCAA basketball official back a few months ago, who's, who's worked a couple final fours, very similar conversation uh, with Billy Hayes here. So let's take a quick break and then we'll jump right into it with our interview with the one and only Mr. Billy Hayes. Okay. Joining us today is Billy Hayes. Mr. Hayes is a two-time College World Series umpire. He worked the 2016 as well as the 2019 College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. We'll definitely talk about that experience with him. He is also a division, excuse me, a coordinator for the Division Three Conference here in Southern California, as well as two other NAIA conferences out here on the West Coast. So he's a very busy man, scheduling umpires. Uh, outside of all that, he's also the owner-operator of the Black and Blue Umpire Camps, which helps umpires get to the next level. So he's a very busy man during baseball season, outside of baseball season, but I am just so happy he is willing to sit down with us and have a conversation. So uh, Billy Hayes, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it and uh, and uh, sharing our uh, some thoughts and, and uh, catching up a little bit. We haven't spoken quite a while. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, you are someone that I have uh, had the opportunity to work games for as an umpire. Uh, you know, being a coordinator has, a, has its a whole list of challenges that uh, as well as us umpires. Uh, but, but Billy, you know, unfortunately in March, whether you're a College World Series umpire or a community college umpire or a guy that's just starting out, uh, all of our seasons – just came to a screeching halt as did the country. So what can you tell me about what it was like in March when everything just shut down and it was like, it was like just sitting around for a rain delay that the delay kept going. Yeah, I had, um, 
I had taken my uh, first trip back east to, to work for the uh, ACC, and um, I had completed um, uh, a midweek, uh, a Tuesday and a Wednesday at North Carolina State. And um, ironically, I was uh, traveling with one of your cohorts, uh, Mike Jarbo, and uh, <laughs> we, were, we were staying in close proximity, not at the same hotel, but we hung out both nights. And, um, you know, we started – we started to get wind of, you know, COVID obviously well before, uh, you know, March happened, you know, sometime in February, but I don't think any of us realized the magnitude of it or, or the seriousness of it. And, um, and, and more or less didn't realize, you know, how, how big it would impact, you know, our umpiring and, and, and obviously our, our way of life, if you will. So uh, we were in downtown Raleigh. Um, we had finished up on uh, Wednesday night and uh, he had come over to, to my hotel because uh, we had a my hotel had a better whiskey bar than uh, than his did. <laughs> and, uh, we both had some nice we had both had a nice meal and we were enjoying some um, some good whiskey, some old fashions to be to be honest with you. And I st- we started getting wind about it, and the fir- really the first thing that kind of uh, raised the 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 red flag or the awareness for us was the, that Wednesday night was the night that. I think it was Rudy Gay or somebody in the NBA had tested positive and the NBA was going to shut down. Now they weren't going to shut down for the whole season yet because nobody really knew quite frankly, how big this thing was. Um, but they were going to, they were going to shut down operation and come to a halt. And uh, we both looked at each other and I remember, you know, him saying to me, he goes, Holy cow, this is, this is kind of serious. And I go, Yeah. And we started getting some calls from some, some other folks, you know, back on the, on the West coast, cause it's still early there. And, and guys were, you know, yeah, we heard about it, but we haven't heard anything on the baseball front. Da, 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 da. Well, the next day we had an off day and it was a day that we were really supposed to be moving to kind of our, our next cities. Mike was actually coming into to Raleigh and he was going to, you know, uh, stay at the hotel I was staying at. And I was, I was moving out to Durham. Uh, for a series um, at uh, at Duke that weekend, and um, we started hearing a little bit more. And uh, the conference had had uh, contacted us and said um, we're kind of in a holding pattern right now. We're not really sure if we're going to conduct the weekend series. We're we're kind of gathering information, to figure out what we're going to do. So sit tight. So Mike made his way over, and uh, we just kind of hung out that night and, and sat down and partaking a little bit more of that whiskey, but that's when it really started to basically unravel. And I remember um, sitting there and my phone rang and it was um, the head coach at uh, North Carolina State, Elliot Avant. He had called me and he was actually trying to get a hold of Mike. And I said, well, uh, you know, you're, you're in luck. He's sitting right next to me right now. And uh, he goes, uh, he goes, hey, I, I, I don't want to be the bear of bad news, but the Atlantic Coast Conference has told us that uh, we're going to uh, postpone uh, this weekend series and next next weekend series, so uh, we're not going to have any baseball. And I said, I was like, holy cow, wow, that's significant. And really, Matt, at the time, I, I really didn't think that you know the, the the season was in jeopardy. I really thought you know it'd be two weeks and and everybody would figure this damn thing out or, mm-hmm. you know, everybody would go get a shot or what, because that's just the naiveness of it. You, you just don't, you know, realize. And uh, so we both made a, a, a 
kind of our travel plans to, to, to fly back east or excuse me, back west. And we actually uh, booked the same flight. I want to say we flew into Dallas, Fort Worth or something like that. And so we were able to kind of travel together. And it was really sombering, to be honest with you, because um, the airport was a little bit quieter that day for, for whatever reason. I think the magnitude of, of kind of how this thing was rolling out and unraveling was, was becoming greater. And I know, you know, our, our elected officials were coming on TV and talking about, you know, the seriousness of it and, and all of that. And then of course you're communicating with, you know, family back home and finding out, you, you know, your kids have been told to, to, to go home and, and uh, you know, wait to see what's happening. And, uh, you know, I got home later that afternoon and remember uh, my wife picking me up and, and, you know, she was telling me, she says, well, I'm not really sure what's going to happen with school next week. They're talking about not even having it until they can kind of evaluate this whole situation. So um, that was a whirlwind 48 hours, uh, to be honest with you, from that, from that Wednesday night of, of that NBA announcement. And I remember sitting there and, and hearing those, those broadcasters talk about it to, to flying home and landing in Sacramento, um, you ju- just so much had changed in 48 hours. And, and the ironic part is, is we were just beginning on the change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was so much more that uh, I bet you, if you would have all, if you would have told us all how much was going to change over the course of day to day, week to week, month to month. And now we're sitting here in the middle of latter part of August we probably all said you're, you're absolutely off your rocker. Um, so um, quite the, quite the abruption of life and uh, you know, March beginning of March or the middle of March as it was um, that's all conference play. And um, we were all gearing up for that. And I was really excited about it because I had five weekends to uh, travel back East and I was, I was pretty fired up. I, I love the atmosphere back east. It's 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 different um, than out west here. Nothing against out west here at all. I think the baseball is outstanding, um, but the but the the uh, atmosphere and uh, and and the uh, the kind of the intensity of it is uh, is 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 different. It's um, it was something that I had wanted to seek out and 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 kind of was missing a little bit, and I was really looking forward to the season. So unfortunate that um, all this has kind of happened. Yeah, very unfortunate for everyone, and I was right there with you. I was on the field locally, and the first base coach came out in the middle of the game and said, NBA just shut down, and I went, oh, no. (laughs) And again, like you, Billy, thinking, okay, a few weeks, hoping for the best. When they shut down uh, March Madness, like in the middle of of the conference tournaments and everything, I went, oh, this isn't good at all. So as some – look, it it brings up an interesting point, too. Many of us – I don't want to say many of us depend on the money and other guys don't, but a lot of us do baseball and it's the, it's more of the bulk than of our income than it is for other guys. Now that said income is income and everyone gets used to a certain dollar figure during the year. So to have all of that just gone vanish, not going to be made up in any way, uh, it hit everyone really hard, whether it be full-time officials or guys, uh, you know, like you who who do it at a very high level, but also have a regular job too. So w- what, what are your thoughts on just the financial impact of us losing a season? Well, they're massive. 
Um, and I say that coming from a perspective of being very lucky not to re- have to rely on that income. Um, I do well for myself. Um, I put myself in that position. Um, I, I, I work really hard to put myself in that position because I felt that um, that would aid in my officiating. Um, and I, and I'm, and I don't mean this in a, in a kind of a weird way or, or derogatory way. I, I just feel that, that guys that, um, are set up in life to where this is more of, um, this could be more of a, uh, a coffin filler, uh, maybe a, uh, retirement funder, uh, uh, something that, uh, goes towards, uh, you know, uh, family trips and, and the likes, um, I, t- I think tend to relax more on the field and, um, and breathe and, and maybe, maybe the moments don't get to them as much and the magnitude of, of situations, it, it's not much of, it's not as much of a grind. Uh, they maybe are able to pick and choose what they officiate and how much they officiate versus having to, to do that grind to, to make that dollar because it's, it's relied upon. That's their, their source, their main source. So, um, uh, the impact of this is depending on who you are is significant. Um, I will tell you it was significant for me, even though, um, you know, my family wasn't going to go unfed and my bills weren't going to get unpaid, but, um, I rely on it to fill my coffers. I, I, I have a certain dollar amount in my head that I like to get to every year as a, as a cushion, as a emergency fund, um, something that we want to do around, you know, our home. To, to aid in the value of our home. That's, that's kind of what I earmarked the money for. So um, um, it was still very impactful, but it wasn't a, a life or death situation by any means. Um, but I, I, can, I can't imagine for some of these guys that, that really rely on it to kind of make those, those ends meet, um, uh, that had to be devastating. And uh, there was, there was, you know, nothing you could do. It was completely out of, out of our hands. So, um, you know, is there a lesson that's involved in this? Um, yeah, I think so. And, and I, and I spoke about it right after, you know, we kind of, um, took the hiatus or we, we were, we were on that break and, and then it turned into the reality of, Hey man, the season's canceled. And that, that reality I think was like, holy cow, they just canceled the entire college baseball season. I cannot believe this. And like you, like you mentioned, you know, the canceling March Madness. As soon as March Madness was canceled, I knew college baseball was done. I just knew. I, I'm like, there's no way. This is, it's not possible. If students aren't in class, this ain't happening. And I started to think about those guys because me and you, we all have, we all have friends that, that you know, officiate. That's, that's what they do. And, and by no means is there anything wrong with that. I, shit, man, if, if I could stomach it, I would do it. But I, I, I just don't have the tolerance level to do it on a day-to-day, yeah. you know, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. I, I like my little window of, of four and a half, five months, and then I, I shut it down and I put it away. And then I get excited about it again. So that for me, that's a, that's a nice balance. Um, but for those guys that uh, really rely on it, and I've got, you know, a few friends that do, uh, I just, it was horrible. And I know a lot of people started deep diving 
in um, figuring out, you know, how, where guys can turn. I know uh, people like uh, Jim Quirk, uh, I think that's how he spelled, says it, Jim Quirk with uh, Umpatire was, uh, was kind of instrumental in doing the legwork on, you know, um, what, uh, it, you know, independent contractors could go and seek out from the federal government and the state. So he was great. He was a nice source of, of, of information. Um, and I know that there was a lot of, you know, uh, group chats and, and, and guys really sharing a lot of information throughout the country, different organizations uh, that are well-respected. United Umpires comes to mind. I know guys sought, uh, you know, us out for advice and everything, and we tried to put as much out there. Um, the guys that officially connected, uh, Johnny Bennett and uh, Scotty, um, uh, gosh, uh, Kennedy, uh, those guys were awesome too with, with the content that they were putting out. And I think it helped a lot of guys. I think a lot of guys ended up, you know, putting in applications for, for unemployment to try to get some of those main fees. So I think it, it helped, but they didn't recoup, you know, what they were going to make by any means, but it was, it was something. Um, but it got me to thinking, you know, what message can I send out as a, you know, guy that, you know, a lot of people look up to and, especially the young guys that I mentor that come, you know, through the, through the program uh, at B-Buck uh, because they're always asking. And I always tell them, and it's very similar to what we tell guys that go to pro school. You know, uh, if you want to do that, great. Try to go get your degree, then go to pro school. You've got something to fall back on. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if your heart's intent is to go to pro school and you get a job, then during that pro career, finish your education so you got something to fall back on. And I, I kind of went along the same lines, although most of us are past the, the point we've either got our education and degrees or, or we're just too damn old to, to sacrifice and button it up to, to get them. So I went on the approach of, you know, we didn't choose to have this shut down. We didn't choose to not be able to earn our game fees and all that. But this is an opportunity for us to reflect on what game plan did we put in place that, that will, um, um, secure us in, in something that could happen that could be tragic next time. And by no means do I got a crystal ball and I know when the next goddamn pandemic is or, you know, whatever, but we just don't know. We just don't know what could happen out there that, that could, you know, impact us from making a living. And uh, so I just, I challenge people to take the time, the time that we've been afforded now, this downtime to figure out how you're going to get your fares in order and, and to be able to protect yourself, whether it's just you as a single individual or you as a, a, a married person with a spouse or you as a married person with a spouse and family um, in how to, um, you know, kind of um, mitigate through something like this. Um, you know, we, we both, me and my wife, we both went through um, budget cuts with our companies. We were asked to take salary decreases. Um, they're started. My wife's has come back. Mine's almost there. Um, but those are all sacrifices. But if we didn't have that game plan that led us to the point of being able to kind of navigate through this, I don't know where we would have been. It would have been, been kind of terrifying. So um, I told everybody, I said, remember what this feels like right now, this, 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 uh, this unknown, this, this nervousness, all that channel that into motivating you to, to get a game plan in place. So you have, some kind of backup if something were to happen. And I, and I, I made it very easy. I equated it to an injury, an injury that that's going to sideline us and we're not going to make any money. We're not going to make any game fees and there's no amount of unemployment that we're going to be able to go and, 
seek out that's going to uh, reimburse us for a broken leg or, you know, a, a concussion or something like that. So it was just all about just trying to, you know, challenge people to take advantage of the opportunity and the downtime to, to get your house in order, get your finances in order. So, you know, if, if, if something like this were to happen again, you know, we're prepared. Yes. Yes, we are. And, you know, no pun intended, but it did open the eyes of a lot of umpires. I can say here uh, the past few months into looking forward. And like you said, have a better game plan, pregame, whatever you want to call it. Uh, So we'll see what happens in the, in the upcoming months here. Uh, Well, Billy, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back uh, towards the beginning of your umpire journey. If you will, Uh, you are someone who went through the professional ranks you worked in minor league baseball. You got to AAA, uh, like so many other guys. And uh, what, what was the initial motivation for you to go to umpire school and, and kind of when, when that all happened? How did that all start? Well, it's uh, it, it's it's a it's a unique story, and I'll try to do the cliff note version so it's not <laughs> too long. But I got. Uh, I played uh, baseball and soccer in college um, at the university level and at the junior college level. And after my junior college stint, um, I just was trying to put myself through school, but I was very, very challenged on earning income around school. And I sought out trying to figure out how I could, you know, have, you know, part-time jobs. I mean, I had, I had a couple of them, but I, I really didn't like them that much. And I was really missing sports. I'd, I'd been away from sports for probably a good year, year and a half, maybe two. And uh, I happened to come across an ad in the Fresno Bee. I was living in Fresno and going to school at Fresno City College. And I answered an ad that was in the uh, Sunday paper looking for freshman baseball umpires uh, for the local um, high school unit. And I, uh, I, I went to the first meeting. It was a big group of people, it had to be over 100 guys plus, uh, ran by a, a gentleman that is a dear friend of mine to this day. And uh, I, just, I just was enamored by it. I, I don't know what it was. I thought it was just kind of cool. It was uh, a camaraderie. Um, there, was a, there was energy in the air. It was, it was just different. And, I, and that immediately kind of got hooked. And, and I hadn't even called a pitcher called to play on the bases yet and uh, started attending the meetings, started attending the training and uh, uh, went out and worked my uh, first freshman uh, baseball uh, scrimmage on a Saturday afternoon, uh, really damp and cold. I remember it in Madera, California in like the early part of February or something like that. And, uh, and just, and got the itch and uh, worked that entire high school season, got my way into working some, pretty decent JV ball. And then in the summer, I found out that the same high school unit was in charge of assigning all the, you know, the summer stuff around the greater Fresno area. And I said, hell yeah, I'm going to off of school. I'm going to do as much as I could. So I became, you know, the go-to guy and, and worked a ton. And one uh, afternoon, it was a mid during the week, I'd made my way out to uh, Clovis um, to a, a school, I want to say Kastner or something like that, but it started with the K. It's all I remember. It started with the K. I was out there working a one man and doing my thing hot as hell. And uh, in between innings, I had a guy uh, get my attention in the backstop, big, tall guy, big fella. And he calls me over, introduces himself as Chad McArdle. 
and some of your listeners, you know, that have been around a while will, will be familiar with that name. Chad McCarter was a longtime umpire in Fresno, was working the Mountain West, and I would assume he was working the WAC at the time and, and maybe a couple others. Um, but, but I had seen him a bunch of times at Fresno, at Fresno State games, um, him, and, him and Rick Scarberry, uh, and a couple other guys. I mean, every time I went to a Fresno State game with my dad, they were umpiring. I mean, every time I could hear their names. <laughs> so as soon as he said his name, I was I felt like I had met a celebrity. And uh, so he was chatting with me. He's like, hey, you do a pretty good job. You know, uh, uh, how many years is this for you? Blah, blah, blah. Small talk, small talk. And then, of course, you know, the game needed to resume. So he said, you know, resume your game and then come back and chat me up a little bit more. So I did. And on the second or third round of conversation, uh, he finally got around to saying to me, he said, so what, uh, what training have you gone to? What umpire school have you gone to? And I just kind of looked at him and I kind of giggled and I said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, well, you've been trained, haven't you? And I said, well, I did the, I, I did the, you know, the courses with the high school group. I went to the meetings and stuff. I mean, yeah. He goes, no, 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 no. You know, training, like uh, upper level training. And I said, I go, Chad, with all due respect, I go, I honestly don't know what you're talking about. He goes, you work like you've, you've had some training. I said, I just have been, uh, you know, I just have dived into this and I, I watch people and I study and that's, you know, that's, he goes, man, I could have swore you've been to a professional umpire school. And I said, what is this professional umpire school thing that you talk about? Cause I've never heard of anything. He goes, well, how do you think major league umpires come to be? And I said, well, they live in that city, and, and the club pays them to come out and officiate the game. He goes, no, man. Those guys are, like, professional. They travel all around the United States doing this stuff. And I was like, whatever, bro. I go, I, I have no clue about any of that stuff. So we ended up, he ended up saying, hey, finish the game, and we'll chat afterwards. And we did. He came, came over by my car, and he says, man, you got a, you know, you got a lot of talent. You're young, athletic, and all that. You should really think about you know, getting professionally trained and he goes, shit, man, I, I do a lot of Fresno state stuff. And, and, you know, he told me how much they got paid. And at the time, I think it was like a couple hundred bucks a game. And I was like, are you kidding me? Holy smokes. So that was kind of my first like hook on, wow, I'd, I'd really like to, I'd like to see what this guy says that this professional umpire school thing is all about. That sounds interesting. So he ended up exchanging contact information and about him. A, a month later, no, bud, we're going to, we're going to take off. Sorry. That's my kid interrupted me right there. Asking me for hitting tonight. I said, no, uh, which I like though. That's good. yeah. Yeah. Um, we ended up exchanging numbers and about a month uh, after that encounter, I get this uh, manila envelope in the mail and it's, it's thick. And I'm like, what the hell is this? So I open it. I could see it's from him. I opened it up and what he had done is he had um, um, gotten, the three um, handouts, booklets, brochures of the three umpire schools in Florida. He had taken upon himself to get that information and he sent it to me and he wrote a note and he says, Hey man, I think you should seriously think about this. I think you would do great. And the worst case scenario is you can come back here and work Fresno state baseball games with me, like a handwritten note. And I was like, Holy shit. (laughs) So I started reading up on this stuff and I got hooked. I mean, immediately hooked, like, holy shit, there's this big, big world of baseball umpiring out there. I mean, it's, it's endless. 
But I got to be honest, I really never thought about the professional route. I just kept thinking about that 200 bucks and, and that Fresno State opportunity. And, and now looking back on my minor league career, I probably should have just stuck with the college thing because I probably would have made a, a lot more money in the damn thing over the course of time. But anyways, um, so I got hooked. And, uh, and for, for whatever reason, the Wendelstadt umpire school out of the three schools, because there was uh, Brinkman and Fremming school at the time. And then um, um, Jim Evans Academy. And uh, for whatever reason, the Wendelstadt one just kind of jumped out at me. I don't know what it was. I don't know if I had seen Harry or, or what on, on TV, but that one just kind of, kind of stuck with me and resonated with me. And I made up my mind. I was like, you know, I'm going to go do this. Um, but it's not like you just sign up and you go, you know, there's some process to it. And, and the process is, is, is saving up a good chunk of change. And that's what I did. I spent the rest of that entire summer, a whole next year of, of working all the way through fall and then the high school season and all the way through summer and another fall. And then I ended up going to, uh, umpire school in 1994. And, um, uh, again, uh, getting there, I, my mindset was was to just graduate the school, get the certificate, and go home and show whoever <laughs> I can do Fresno State games now. That's that's kind of that's how naive I was. And uh, about about ten days into into Wendelstead Empire School is when I I finally kind of connected the dots and started talking to some guys and and started to get some feedback on my performance that I realized. I actually had a chance at, you know, Mm -hmm. um, doing well. And I, I just, I, I became, um, grossly, uh, uh, just enamored with the whole thing and, and just put countless hours of study and time and, and working on the mechanics and the footwork and the head height and the voice and, and all that stuff (laughs) for the better, the rest of the four weeks, it's a six week training and, I just, I loved it and I fell in love with it. And fortunately enough, uh, got lucky that um, I, um, you know, fared well and, and uh, placed in the top 10 and, uh, and was able to, to continue the path uh, with the evaluation course. Uh, at, at that time, the evaluation courses were almost a month and a half after school. It was kind of unfortunate. Um, you had to go home and kind of keep sharp with your skills and stuff. So um, I was able to do that and then, you know, uh, pass and graduate or, uh, you know, uh, succeed at the uh, evaluation course. And uh, I got placed in the lower levels of the minor leagues and, you know, had a nine-year career. Very similar, uh, very similar words that you just said were kind of my experience. I, I would just went to kind of thinking, oh, well, this is how you work college baseball. And then right. a few days in, it was like, oh, wait a minute, maybe the minor leagues – are an option here. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's crazy when you hear it from other people as well, kind of having your similar outlook and everything. Well, uh, you know, it's quite some time in the minor leagues. I mean, if you could sum up what your experience was like there, is it everything you thought it would be? Was it uh, the biggest challenge of your life? Was it, I mean, what could you tell us about that time uh, in jumping into the world of minor league baseball? Well, it was, it was a wonderful time in my life. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, I, I, I gained so much valuable lessons 
Um, I got to see the country basically for free is how I looked at it. And I traveled all over it, um, all the different pockets of of the United States. And and for that, I'm internally grateful. Um, Probably a little naive at the beginning of the process, which um, probably aided me a little bit, but probably was a little bit of a detriment because I I would have have liked to have... um, the umpiring part came really easy and naturally. And I think at points in my career, I kind of lost sight of, of, of continually trying to fine tune. Um, the mechanical part was very easy. The, the, the game management part did not come easy for me. I, um, I was too um, defiant. And I was too uh, um, combative, um, if you will. Um, I hate the term red ass because that just is stupid. Um, but I was really combative. And um, I had a few, a few partners, and it wasn't their fault, but I had a few partners that had the same mindset as me. And, man, let me tell you, we, we used to light places on fire. I mean to tell you. And, uh, you know, it, it gained a lot of respect from peers um and big leaguers but did not help that path that I needed to be on to to smoothly get to the point of being recognized at that major league level I carried a a stigmatism a a big stigmatism on on you know being very confrontational and and red ass very arrogant um I looked at his confident at the time I look back on it now and I went, yeah, that's arrogant. That's, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, and, and that was troublesome. I think that was a detriment to, to my career. Um, I, I still got a little bit of an opportunity, but I think if I would have probably have, have shored up that aspect of, of my umpiring, I think I probably would have gotten a little bit better of, a, of an opportunity or maybe a little bit longer one. Um, outcome probably would have still been the same. Um, but that's what I, I wish that I would have, have done a little bit better. But at the same time, although I, I, I failed at recognizing it as a pro, I, I uh, embraced it big time as a collegiate official. And I have prided myself big time on that aspect of my work. Now that I'm a veteran guy and a little bit older, um, you know, the, the, the balls and strikes, safes and outs, um, that comes relatively easy, but as I get older, it, it, it does get harder because the processing mechanism that we all have, it slows down. There's no doubt about it. I, I have felt it and I still feel like I've got some pretty good years ahead. And I definitely feel like there's moments where that processing is not as sharp as it might've been when I was in my mid forties or so, um, uh, you know, officiating at kind of my peak. Um, so my focus now has been as, as more of a crew chief that I get that opportunity on a week to week, weekend to weekend basis. Um, that part I, I really embraced and said, I'm going to make this really, really strong because if I make this strong, I make myself better, but I also make my crew really, really better too. And, and on the mentoring side, those people that look up to me, I'm going to make them better too by my actions and my, you know, um, you know, ability to, to navigate my way around the baseball field on that kind of a leadership role. So um, great times in the minor leagues. Awesome. 
Um, wish I would have did a better job at, at really, you know, staying focused on the, the, the big picture and the, all the aspects of, of umpiring. Um, but I think it taught me a really good lesson. And I think that's the reason why I've been fortunate enough to have the success that I've had at the collegiate level um, that I might not have had at the, at the pro level. So, you know, it's a little bit of give and take, um, but uh, definitely feel like um, my maturity and, and my, my reasoning and, and my disposition and the way that I, I kind of handle my crew and I handle, you know, the, 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 the coaching staff and the players um, is, is one of my better strengths now after experiencing all that in the past. Well, well, you kind of touched on it a little bit right there, kind of transitioning into college baseball. Uh, that's really the only word I know to, to use for guys who go from pro, uh, professional baseball into college baseball, because right. there is there is a transition. There really is. And so many guys now go from professional baseball to college. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just it's most of the staff now, it seems. Uh, what what can you speak on, Billy, to to that transition? Did you go right from professional baseball to college? Did you take some time off? And, and kind of what was it like for you in those early years? So I didn't immediately transition into college baseball. I kind of I kind of left on a, a bit of a a bit of a sour note. Although I didn't I didn't let it um, define me. Um, there's a lot of guys that let it define them, unfortunately, and they spend a lot of lot of years either not umpiring and being bitter and, and sour grapes and not getting on with their life, or they umpire and, and you can totally tell that they're bitter and they've never gotten past that. And it really is a blockade to them being really talented. I mean, they're talented, but, but that blockade gets in the way of them being really talented and really showcasing those, those, those skill set levels that, you know, guys that have, you know, spent seven plus years, you know, crafting in the minor leagues. So um, I spent maybe four years. I, I didn't umpire a thing. I, I had nothing to do with baseball at all, period. Um, was living in Florida. The end of my career was in Florida. Um, I kind of just said, you know, I'm going to get on with my life and uh, it is what it is. And I kind of, I kind of left everything in the umpiring world behind relationships, friends, um, all of that. And uh, I guess to a degree that that sounds a little bit bitter, but I think at the time I just needed separation. I just needed to get away from it because it was my life for nine years. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's, it's, it's gone. And it was kind of gone in kind of a way that you you felt like, well, was I really appreciated? Did everybody really, anybody even care that I was around or that I'm gone now? So um, for me, I think that was a good healing time that I just had that separation and I didn't, I didn't bring any baggage to the collegiate level. And, um, and when I came back to the collegiate level, it was with a bit of resistance. Um, I, I, quite frankly, I didn't seek it out. It sought me and, um, uh, my wife now, who's actually my girlfriend at the time, she was the one that encouraged me to, 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 to engage in the, in, the, the uh, inquiry even for me to do it. And, uh, and I'm glad I did because it's led me to this point now. Um, but I think the time away was good. Um, but I do think, I do think, I do think that there are guys now um, that do make the transition transition. Well, um, this newer generation that's coming out of pro ball seem to have it down a little bit better 
Um, you know, I think there's a little more transparency at the pro level now. So I think they kind of have a little idea where they stand and, and the writing on the wall sometimes. And a lot of them quite frankly, just because of all the, the gains you've made at the collegiate level, um, don't necessarily look at the collegiate level as a taboo, like a lot of my generation looked at it as. We, we kind of, we kind of black eyed it. And, and I look back on it and I'm like, why did you do that? Because there was a lot of pro guys when I was in pro ball that, that had been in pro ball prior to me that made their way into college baseball that were great guys and good umpires. But I always remember we always used to make fun of these guys that were college baseball. You'd see them every now and then doing the World Series or postseason something, and you're like, oh, God, what a bunch of scrabinis. And I, I look back on it now, and I go, what the hell, man? They probably looked at you as a scrabini. They probably went out to those minor league games and looked like, look at that little skinny runt running around the diamond. So that was just unfortunate. And I, I, I think I made a, like this blockade, like, I'll never do college baseball. Uh, once, once I'm in the pros, I'm never going to do that. That's beneath me. It's bah. And I don't know, maybe that time away, I, I had a little more pers- perspective and um, guys like guys like Pat Riley, um, guys like Joe Burleson, um, uh, the Steve Manley's of the world. Uh, and there's, there's, there's several others that, uh, that I was involved with pro baseball had made their way into to college baseball. And we're just starting and, and had shared with me, like, you know, you should really think about it. And then, of course, you know, when, when, I, when I said I would think about it, um, immediately, you know, some of those guys reached out to a couple of coordinators. And one of them happened to be a guy that I was in the minor leagues with would be Tom Heiler. And as soon as he found out, you know, he came and knocking too. So it all kind of, it all kind of came quickly. I mean, I just did a handful of JC stuff one year. I think it was like in 2004 or 2005 and uh, the next thing you know um you know it, it caught on like wildfire and, and the way i went but uh the time off was 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 good because i think it allowed me to miss it it allowed that that, that flame to kind of be rekindled if you will it, it allowed the bitterness flame to kind of subside and i didn't take that baggage into uh, into college baseball and i'm glad because there's there's really no room for it in college baseball it just um it, it'll only hurt you to be honest. Yeah. No, I, I do think the time off is, is a good idea. Whoever, whoever, you know, it works for great. Some guys go right in and there's no issues, but you're right. You, you do gotta, you, you gotta check your ego at the door. And I think, especially on the West coast, you look at the guys, Billy, you look at how many guys, guys who are in triple a guys who are in the big leagues for crying out loud, yeah. working college baseball on the West coast. And it's like, Oh man, it's humbling for guys like me and others. We're just like, okay, yeah, this is, this is a big deal. Like it's important to be hungry, but humble around these guys. And uh, man, yeah, sometimes time off is a good thing. Um, well, you it caught like wildfire. Like you said, uh, you had a great college career. Um, you eventually got that call in 2016 uh, for the College World Series, which is the pinnacle for college baseball umpires. That's where everyone, all the teams are trying to get to and all umpires eventually want to get to. So what was it like getting that call after almost dismissing college baseball years before to now getting the call to work the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska? Well, I mean, um, 
for, for, for all of us that, that aspire to, to get to that level. Um, and, and for me on a personal level of, of being in pro ball and, you know, the end goal was to be a major league umpire and, and, you know, I was very realistic in my minor league career that, you know, it was going to be a tough one, really hard. Um, but to, but to fall short and to have that kind of, uh, fire in your belly, like, you know, if I'm going to go do this, this college thing, I want to figure out what the pinnacle is and I'm going to set my goal and, and I want to do that. And I, I did, it didn't happen right away. Obviously mm-hmm. I, I kind of had to fig- figure out how the whole landscape worked and, and all that. Cause I didn't at the beginning, but once I did, I was kind of like, okay, all right. And I set a goal and, uh, you know, that goal was, uh, that goal came to fruition in, in, in 16. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a tremendous honor. Um, it's a humbling honor. Um, it's a, it's an event that, um, uh, unless you have an opportunity to go there, um, as a spectator, um, um, or as a parent, uh, which, uh, that, that, that's my, <laughs> I, I say that to myself now at, with the son that's in comp baseball and loves baseball. I mean, I, there wouldn't be anything. I I'd probably be more proud of that than, than my own accomplishments, but, um, it is just, um, it's such a, a, a bucket list event. It, you know, the city of Omaha, um, the Omaha Inc. Corporation, the NC2A, they all work hand in hand together to, to, to put on the event. And it's just such, it's a world-class event. And it's, you know, I haven't been to a final four. I haven't been to, um, uh, well, I've been to a, a national championship football game. Uh, awesome atmosphere. The thing about Omaha is it's, played at the same place every year. And the thing that makes it unique is that families plan that as an event, as a family event. It's not a single individual event. It's, it's families. And it's also uh, an event that many people go to root on their school, their team. But you find that a lot of people um, that their school um, doesn't make it and they still go and they don't care. They just want to go because the atmosphere is so great. And it's because the event is just, it's, I can't even describe it. It's just, it's the coolest thing. I mean, it's, they, they call it the greatest show on dirt and it is Um, it's, it's two weeks of, of just incredibly good baseball um, the matchups are great. The Cinderella stories are there. The, the powerhouses are there. Um, the legendary coaches are there and you've got a, you've got a Midwestern, um, town that rolls out the red carpet and you've got all these great places to go eat with all these, these local ownerships that know who you are and they treat you like a million bucks. And, um, uh, it's just an awesome event. And, and, you know, I've gone twice now and the crews that I've gone with, and I've been so lucky and blessed, just every single guy. I mean, just awesome people, all their families come and I've gotten to know each and every one of them and their kids. And, um, I'll sum it up like this. Um, my family's been twice. Um, they love it. My son thinks it's a, it's an annual passage, which I, I had to break <laughs> it to him that it's not, uh, <laughs> 
he knows every nook and cranny of that ballpark and where to go. He took his, he took a buddy this year and it was so fun to watch him show his buddy because he knew exactly where to go, what day to do things and, and all of that. So that was, that was great. But the, the, the epitome of it is, is, um, uh, my mother and my mother, uh, has been twice and my mother got to know, um, Scott Klein's wife and kids. And they're from uh, Tennessee. They're just great people. And uh, Scotty Klein's got a son that's in the military and, uh, and uh, just, just awesome. Just an awesome, they're a, bit, they're a blended family. And uh, uh, to this day, to this day, my mom texts Scotty Klein's wife once a month to check in to see how they're doing. And she checks in, Beth Klein, to see how my mom's doing. And what's great about it is, is that my mom and uh, my mom's husband, she's remarried. Um, my mom's retired and her husband just retired. They are, they're flying home right now to this today uh, from South Carolina. They're, they're moving to South Carolina in two weeks um, to, to their retirement home. And um, they, they, they talk about life in the South. Um, they talk about family. They talk about all those great things. And that to me, is what Omaha is about is, is a blending of families, personalities, and people sharing in an event, a common thing, and then having these lifelong memories and, and beyond that. And I'm sure that that's one of many, many stories that is created by um, the College World Series and it being in Omaha. I don't think it'd be the same if it moved around. No. I just, I just, I just don't believe it would be the same. It's got so many lasting memories going from Rosenblatt to TD and just all the monumental uh, moments that have transpired in both of those two places. Um, it's just a special place. And I, I, I tell people make it a bucket list. I tell uh, umpires um, young and old, um, you know, strive to want to go there because um, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And I'm blessed and humbled. I've got, you know, the, the proof on the walls in my house here that I've been, which is great. And, uh, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Well, I echo your statements, not as an umpire, but as a fan, it's the best sporting event I've ever been to. I graduated college in 2008. My best friend at the time offered, uh, tickets basically for him and I to go to Omaha for 10 days and watch uh, the college world series, watch two games a day, just hang out. And it was that year. You got to see that uh, Cinderella story. There was a school from the WAC in central California at that time that had quite a run that year at Fresno state. So it, that was one of the best experiences I've ever seen. I've never seen a team get that hot and I just be in there every day in Rosenblatt, which was even, you know, really cool. The history there. Uh, I echo everything you just said. I I think it's a special place. I love sports. I love all sports. I have a few bucket list items I want to get to, but having been there and done that, uh, I I agree with you. It's incredible. Omaha, Nebraska, man. It's uh, yeah, it's a, it's an insane place. It's just got so much character and it's just uh, it's, it's, Got small town feel, but it's a, you know, it's a decent size, uh, you know, city. And, uh, but uh, they, they, uh, they do a bang up job. And my heart went out to them this year when, when, you know, they canceled the season in, in Omaha, because I can't imagine 
the devastation, you know, financially. We talked about that earlier in this conversation. There's my wife. Thanks, Denise, for that. Um, <laughs> I didn't. Know um, but uh, but it's it's just a great place. It's a yeah. tremendous place, and it's just got so much history and, and allure. I I I love it, and I I will um, you know if if 19 was my last one. Um, so be it. Um, you know, if I would have went to one, I I'd still be uh, honored and thrilled. Um, I'd love to get another one. My goal is three. Um, I'd like to ring for each one of my family, immediate family members. Um, that would, uh, that would, uh, complete my career. And, and on a, on a personal level, I want to, I want to go back as a crew chief. That's, that's the ultimate goal for me. That's, uh, th- that is a, a, uh, that's an honor that says, that there are people that really value you on a national scale that, that to take on the responsibility like that on on that kind of event, that's a, that's a national championship for, for that sport. And to be uh, one of the the heads of, of the officiating uh, crews is, um, you know, that's just something I strive for right now. Well, I I'm rooting for you as I'm sure many others are. I think it's uh, it's, you've done great work in all, in all the different levels of college baseball you've been working and, um, by levels, I mean the way you've given back to guys and helped guys along, get to the next level and everything, and to be a two-time College World Series umpire, uh, you know that that's that's just an incredible thing for your umpire journey and uh, something all your all your fans and fellow umpires are very proud of. Uh, one, one last thing, Billy, regarding Omaha, any specific memories from the field? We'll say in either of the college world series as you were at that it being the national championship or, you know, eight different teams playing each time, anything specific that jumped out at you or was it all kind of a blur? Well, you know, uh, the, the plate jobs are, are the plate jobs are amazing. Um, uh, they're, 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 there's nothing better than to work the plate. I can tell you that I had the ultimate this past year and I'm not sure it would get any better. I, I think being a crew chief there for, for another one would be awesome. But this one was pretty, pretty amazing. I don't know how many guys have had the opportunity to have their father in the stands, their son in the stands, and to work Father's Day behind the plate at Omaha, Nebraska for the World Series. And I got to do that this, uh, this past one. And, um, I don't know, I I get a little goosebumps, uh, thinking about it, but to know that those two individuals were sitting behind me on, on that Sunday night of father's day. And, um, I had, I had, I feel the, 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 the best game, not, not me personally, but I felt the, the best game played was that night between Mississippi state and Auburn. It was epic. It was a walk off. Um, there was just some crazy plays that transpired in that game, but to have that all culminate on that night was uh, was just unique and amazing. And I don't know if it gets much much better than that. Um, you know, there was a couple other moments. You know, when you're out there for the flyover, um, that's that's amazing. Uh, when you're out there for the national anthem, it, it there's there's if you're not a patriot and an American and, and the Star Spangled Banner being sang, and then you've got you know a military flyover you've got to be pretty much uh, on cardiac arrest because that is, uh, that's the best. Um, but that night uh, was amazing. And that, you know, that game was over three hours, three, three and a half hours. And I, I, I 
I don't know if my feet hit the ground. It was just, uh, it was awesome. And they were both my son and my dad were up there. They sat next to each other and, uh, you know, the game was back and forth and intense and it was a walk off in the bottom of the ninth by Mississippi state. And, um, it was just crazy. And I remember getting into the locker room and I just sat there and the, the sense of accomplishment, um, was just overwhelming. And, and my crew knew it too. And uh, what was a nice moment was, you know, I was there with Greg Charles, who's a really good, dear friend of mine. And it was, you know, his rookie uh, Omaha. And, you know, he, uh, he had the locker next to me and I'm, I'm sitting there just catching my breath. And we got the equipment guy coming in and trying to take our mics off and all that stuff. And he just put his hand right on my, my, the kind of my thigh, my, my uh, knee. And he just, he patted me twice and he just goes, good job, bud. And, you know, and, it, it, it was, it was, you know, you, you just was like, man, I just went out there and freaking nutted up, but I kind of had to, Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of what I'm getting paid to do. Mm-hmm. So that to me was the ultimate. Um, if, if I had a close second, if I had a close second would have been um, a week down the road when, uh, when all four of us West coast guys uh, took the field and, and represented the West coast, that was, um, that was pretty money. That was, that was neat, you know, to have Jeff and uh, Greg and Adam out there at the same time, uh, man, I'm telling you, I, I know, I know that it, I know that there was some frowned upon on that, you know, um, I, I guarantee it because, you know, we've got those professional jealousies out there, which I understand that all, but man, that's quite a moment to say that, you know, four guys from the same region, you know, get to take the field. I'm, I'm not sure that might, I'm not sure that that'll ever happen again. So um, that was kind of a, that was kind of a close second. Yeah. Four out of the eight umpires working, uh, working the world series that night on the same field, just incredible stuff. And you're right, Billy, I can't imagine it gets better than those moments you just talked about. Uh, outstanding stuff. Uh, well, well, Billy, kind of real quick, you know, one of the things I think you've done a long time and it's kind of helped a lot of guys along in college baseball is the black and blue camps that you've run. I think it's, I don't know the, how it all started, uh, but I know now it's developed into quite a few camps that you do in usual, usual years uh, this year, a lot, a lot different, but talk to me about uh, right. the black and blue camps or, or B buck as, as you refer to it. So black and blue was started back in 2010. It was a idea that um, I had been thinking about for a few years as I got back into college baseball, I kind of was watching the landscape of training. And uh, when I first got into college baseball in 05, there was a, a camp called Western States uh, Umpire Combine, I think it was called, uh, ran by a couple of really good friends of mine, people that I admired. Um, it kind of fizzled out, kind of ran its course. And there was a couple of, you know, there was some side stuff, but I always dreamt of having a really first class well-ran opportunity for for young officials to to get trained by the best and um i probably spent the better part of 08 and 09 um really on a piece of paper in in a home office and i remember many many days and many nights just putting this thing together trying to find the best staff the best hotel um, the best field to conduct it um, you know, um, what the training would look like, the curriculum would look like, um, uh, what kind of banquet we could have at the end of it, 
what, uh, how, how the registration process was going to look, what goodie bag could we give everybody when they checked in? I mean, I went <laughs> absolutely crazy on the first one and, but I, I wanted to have a first class experience and I, I, I have to give kudos to, to my mentor who was Terry Wendelstadt, you know, his school was phenomenal. Um, not only did I attend it and graduate from it, I, I taught at it for five years. It was some of the best times of my life. And all I did was is, is basically take a blueprint of what he did. Um, and he didn't reinvent the wheel of umpiring. But he did it in, a, in such a first class and professional manner that you knew that you were involved in something that was unique and, and special. And all I did was try to take a little piece of that and apply it to the, the amateur collegiate level. And I said I wanted to, tra- uh, to create a, a avenue, if you will, for young, aspiring high school or, or newly collegiate guys to have this kind of trek into the, the higher levels. And I had figured out who the players were, the decision makers were. I figured out who the top guys were on the collegiate field and who had the ear of those those coordinators and those decision makers. And I kind of just combined the whole thing. And over the years, it's, it's transpired. Um, I feel like it's, it's gotten much, much better. Um, the addition of Mike Blincy um, being my uh, administrator, my marketing guy, um, you know, the guy that does all the analytics and, and looks at the big picture, he's been instrumental, but you know, everybody that's involved in it from staff members to guys that, that, you know, from, from Liddy that, that runs the, 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 the classroom and, 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 and some of the on-field stuff to the, to the head guys that, you know, the, the Joe Burleson's, the Jeff Henrik suspects, um, the Adam Dowdy's, Ramon Armanderas's and all the way down to, you know, my, my younger guys. And I say they're younger, but they're, they're really not, you know, my Dale Gardner's and, Pablo Bustamante's and, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm Nathan missing guys, but, um, you know, Greg Charles, Adam Dowdy's, you know, all those guys, Jarbo's, every one of them, they all play such an instrumental role. And, and now that we've gotten into this, you know, we were going to have our 10 year anniversary this past year. And unfortunately, you know, due to the COVID, we decided to postpone it. And I think it was the right call. Um, each guy knows their role so well now. That, that leading up to camp and, and expediting camp has gotten so smooth that I got to be honest with you, Maddie, I, I show up. I literally show up now. And, and, you know, Mike's got it scripted. And, and Mike tells me, he says, you've got this much time to talk. You figure out what you want to talk about and the floor is yours. And then I'm going to look at you and I'm going to tell you it's time for you to shut up. And then it's time for everybody else. And, I mean, I become, I become like a politician. I I shake the hands. I kiss the kids. I tell the guys, thank you. You know, I take my notes because guys look at me as, as a guy that is a a mediator to, to kind of bridge their career success into figuring out where they're at, where they need to get to and where they need to be. And, and I take that very serious now. And I love the role now because, you know, before Mike came along and at right when Mike started, I wore a ton of hats and I felt like I felt like I, I wasn't giving the guys everything I needed to give them. I was missing things. Now I feel like I'm in much better position to, 
to kind of, you know, lead guys and, and help them through that career path. So it's, um, it's been great. I know that the end is in sight. Um, and I say that because it, it, it is, I mean, I've got an 11 year old just turned 11. He's really big into baseball. This is a really big influential time in his life where I feel he needs dad. And, um, and, and I want to make sure that I'm there for him and, and that mind, body and soul type mentality. And it's hard for me because I feel like sometimes I wear the cape and I can do everything. Well, sometimes you can't, sometimes you got to just realize it, <laughs> you know, you can do a lot of stuff, but if you're not doing it all well, um, or to the level that you're expected to do it, you know, sometimes it suffers a little bit. And I know I'm, I'm getting to that point because, you know, I just turned 50 and by no means am I, if I got one foot in the, in the gravestone, but I just don't have that oomph anymore. You know, I just, um, you know, that being able to, you know, continually work hard at a high clip and a high level, it's, it's tough. And, and I know, I know my on-field stuff has got a shelf life too. So, um, you know, some, some, some point something's got to give. And I think the reality of it is, is, you know, the older that child gets, the less time I got with him in my house. And I want to make sure I maximize every bit that I can. So once he's out of my house, he feels like he's still in it. He still feels like he's, you know, he's, he's got dad and mom kind of guiding him, even though he's really making the decisions, but we're kind of there to, you know, help when we need to. So if I'm distracted doing all these other things, I, I feel like I'm, I'm not there from a hundred percent. So we're going to, you know, we're going to come back next year and, and finish off that 10 year and we'll see, we'll see where things lie and, and kind of go from there. But my main thing is, is, I want to see a college baseball season. I want to see a high school baseball season. And once we get that, I'll, I'll feel good about having camps again. Yeah. And the camps speak for themselves. Some of the alumni you mentioned and, and just the instruction, the level of instruction, you have college world series umpires, you have ex triple a guys, uh, guys with big league experience. You have just a tremendous staff that I would put up against uh, any camp uh, in America, really. And that's why so many guys come to your camps from all over the country and, you know, you really do help guys get to one more level. May not be D1 right away, but guys get to Division two or get to, you know, whatever the case is. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you guys are doing great things with the camp, uh, Billy. And I look forward to you guys, all you know, all the best moving forward. Um, in closing, Billy, we didn't have the 2020 season. It's a lot of things have changed these past few months. There's some more challenges ahead uh, for our country here as well. But, I know you don't have a crystal ball, as you say, but what are your thoughts about an, a potential college baseball season in 2021? Um, are you hopeful? Do, I mean, just, just in general, how do you want to answer that? I mean, what, are, what are your goals or thoughts or, or hopes that for a 2021 season and some of the challenges maybe? Well, I, I firmly believe if we have a college football season, we'll have a college baseball season. Um, if we don't have a college football season, I'm really concerned. Um, that revenue is, is such a vital key to the success of all the other sports. College football is the king and the juggernaut of college athletics. If somebody wants to tell you otherwise, they're lying because it just is. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to have some form of a college football season. 
I think the ACC and the, and the uh, SEC and the Big 12 are going are gonna to have it. Um, I think they're going to do the, their damnedest to keep it as safe as possible. <clears throat> will there be some hiccups and some bumps? There's no doubt in my mind there will be. Um, but again, these are college athletes in some of the best shape of their, their lives. And if we're looking at science with this whole thing, science is not proving to us that um, college athletes in peak physical condition are susceptible to dying from this. Now, they, they're not susceptible from getting it, but they're definitely they're not susceptible from dying from it. it, it the, the, the science isn't there. Um, so I feel good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wish that the other two power fives would have would have hit the pause button a little bit, but you know what? It is what it is. Um, they made a decision and, you know, you got to respect it. They're going to try to do something in the spring. I think that's going to affect some things. Um, but again, I don't know. Um, my crystal ball, I do know that there is a proposal at the division one level out West here for one year in restructuring the West coast baseball scene. Um, that is basically taking the five conferences that are out West here and turn them up on their head, shaking it out and realigning the whole thing. It's designed to keep things regionalized. It's designed to keep um, schools uh, from having to uh, uh, get on a plane. It's designed to uh, financially impact uh, schools uh, and budgets in a positive. And it's designed to have as little to no um, large amount of exposure to outside regions, if you will. Um, it's interesting. It's very, very interesting on the realignment piece. Um, there's some, there's some interesting matchups, um, if you will. Um, I think it's got legs. It's proposed to start, uh, the middle, middle part of March, I think it is. Um, I, think that that possibly could get pushed back uh, because if, if these two power fives and if anybody else uh, mid-majors decides to play football, that potentially could happen in, G- in January, February. I've heard even as far as April. So what we get into is, is we get into a large number of athletes on campuses and expediting sporting events. How do they expedite sporting events? You know, um, I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna do their best, but it's gonna be a challenge. And so, if they can push spring sports as far off as they possibly can, a couple things it does: it buys time. Mm-hmm. That's what we're looking for right now. We're buying time, so so data, research, science all inter, intersects with each other, so we we get more answers. Um, but um, I think it's right now, if I had to guess on odds, I think it's 60-40 that we have a season. Um, but I really feel like the next couple of months and, and this, this football that's about ready to be played is, is going to play a big role in how that's going to look. Now, moving forward after that, uh, I, think, I think realignment will come back. I think conferences will – get back into some shape or form. Could there be some massive movements to super conferences? I still completely hear that. I hear that a lot. I, I think that that can still happen um, because of finances and 
if you look at the budgets that have been completely decimated, these schools are looking for any way to generate revenue streams. And if you can create these power conferences where you bring in these really high marquee schools and you get TV rights and advertising, oh my God, you know, that's a big deal. And I think the thirst for sport is going to be definitely there. I think the thirst for college football is 100% going to be there. I think, um, I think your college baseball fans, the thirst for college baseball and, and, and regional supers and world series. Oh my God. (laughs) It'll definitely be there. Um, if we can get past this point, um, you know, I, I, I hope it all works out. Um, I'm very optimistic that it will. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, the scientists are working hard on, you know, getting this vaccine, whether, you know, whatever it is, whether, however it works or whatnot, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, we, we, we got to look at the science and the science tells me that if you're in relatively great shape with no really big time underlying condition, as far as, you know, um, a medical condition that, 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 you know, would uh, compromise your lungs, compromise your heart, um, you know, a diabetes or, or uh, heart conditions um, or respiratory things, you got a pretty good shot at, you know, survival, you know, I mean, a lot of us fend off the common cold and the flu each year and, you know, we still get out there and do our thing. So, you know, I mean, COVID is serious. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's highly contagious. That's the thing that's different than I believe the flu is and I believe the common cold is. So that's, that's what you have to respect. What, what I put in perspective is the science that tells me that, you know, I've got an 11 year old son and the odds of him, you know, passing from COVID are very, very minimal. And the odds of me dying from COVID at 50 are very, very minimal. Now, if I smoked a pack of Marlboros a day for the last 25 years, I'd probably be not saying that, but I haven't done that. So <laughs> head of the game. <laughs> yes, so sir. I think, I think we're going to be okay. Now here's where the real casualty lies, not necessarily in, in not playing, but we will be taking monster steps back in, in, in how many guys are able to work on the field with us some of the monies that we've been able to, to get to um, the amount of games that we're, we're uh, kind of um, used to doing, they're all going to be significantly decreased. Um, Division one plays 56. I bet you we're somewhere the first year. I bet you we're somewhere in the low forties. That's just whatever. Yeah. There's a lot to speculate for next year. And uh, obviously the powers that be are, are doing what they can to uh, make things better. Hopefully uh, we do have some form of a season. I know we'd take that versus what we had this year where it was all uh, just hundred percent done and gone. With, I think, so. um, I think all of us will, will definitely say that, you know, and I've been guilty of this too. I've, I've taken the, the baseball for granted and mm-hmm. don't appreciate it as much. And probably I allow the work stress, the home life stress. And then, Oh, I got to go do a goddamn game. Well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind having that outlet right now, to be honest with you. Same here. So same here, Billy. Well, Billy, I appreciate you taking the, the time out of your uh, busy day uh, with work and family and everything. 
Uh, it was absolutely a, a pleasure catching up with you. Haven't chatted in a while. And thank you so much for sharing some of your memories and, and just also your outlook uh, for the future. I think uh, we all need to, to do that at times too and look forward and, and really hope for the best instead of this uh, negativity that's going around all the time. Right. hundred percent. We got to stay positive because there is, you know, as many things that, that we've gone through in our time on this earth, you know, um, I don't ever recall where we haven't come out of it in some form or fashion. So I think the same will hold true for this too. Very well said. Well, thanks again, Billy. It was a lot of fun and hopefully we see you uh, real soon down the road. That'd be great, Manny. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, bud. Thank you so much, Billy Hayes, for joining us on the program. It was a lot of fun catching up with you and talking some baseball and all the best to your family and moving forward. And I'm very hopeful, Billy, as I know you are, that there is a college baseball season in 2021. we got a lot of brothers out there, brothers uh, in the umpiring fraternity that want to get back to work and want to uh, get back behind the plate, call some balls and strikes, and just do what the, the craft that we all love to do. So hopeful for a season next year billy we will be in touch thank you so much for joining us talk to you very very soon well guys tomorrow on the program we are going to be joined by scott root scott root is a college football official he works in the big sky conference which is division one double a just a half step below uh, division one uh, you know the pac 12s of the world uh, the mountain west this and that it is the big sky which is the division one double a also known as uh, the football championship subdivision versus the FBS, which is Division One football bowl subdivision. So just sort of kind of a breakdown there. Some of the teams in the Big Sky, for those that don't know, uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, UC Davis, uh, schools like that, uh, Northern Arizona University, Montana State. So the, just kind of a Western United States um league if you will and there's been a lot of good players that have come out of there scott root will fill us in tomorrow on some of the top names from the big sky from division one double a that is who have now played in the nfl so it's a great spot for officials to progress to a lot of guys go there first before they get uh, kind of bumped to some of the other conferences in division one and such so we're going to talk with scott root about his football officiating journey kind of what goes into a week during the football season and, and also kind of how you progress and get to that level. Also share some memories from high school football and uh, junior college football. Just a lot of conversation about football tomorrow with Scott Root. He has a ton of experience. He's worked a lot of high school championship games out here. He is involved greatly in the Foothill Citrus unit, which is the unit I was affiliated with for a long time. So a lot of football tomorrow, football Friday, if you will. So it should be a lot of fun with Scott. Be sure to join us tomorrow. Additionally, on Fridays, we've been doing a segment called Suds with Studs. Maybe a little corny name, I know, but it's a thought that counts. We've been trying to just share a brief summary of somebody on Friday. It usually involves someone who was in law enforcement, somebody that was in the military, maybe a firefighter. Uh, a lot of like, it started off with a lot of like Medal of Honor winners, if you will. So that kind of gives you an idea of some of the people we talk about on, on Friday in our segment, Suds with Studs. And we call it Suds with Studs because if it were at all possible, these are people that we would love to sit down and have a beer with. And you could be assured that we would not just be buying the first round, but all the rounds. So unfortunately, a lot of these people that we talk about on Fridays in the Suds with Studs segment are people that have passed away, either 
because of their heroic act or uh, old age, you know, uh, someone from a long time ago, like World War II or someone someone uh, at, at that time, time frame, Civil War, even we had a Civil War, uh, someone we talked about. So those are the types of people we talk about. Uh, and I can promise you tomorrow on Friday, we will have a nice segment regarding someone uh, that, that you guys uh, can then go and look up and, and learn a little bit more about. But it kind of just gets the ball rolling. Just a short five, ten minute uh, discussion, if you will, from me about a person that has just done something tr- tremendous uh, in in giving, in service, in sacrifice, uh, one way or another. Like I said, mostly military, law enforcement, firefighters, those types of people. So we just like to take a few minutes on Fridays to honor someone in our Suds with Studs segment. So be sure to join us for that tomorrow as well. We'll get into that right before our interview with Scott Root. Well, guys, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. If you're new to this program, we'd like to give you a lot of information here just so that uh, if you're interested in some of the things you heard today or maybe some of the upcoming guests that you would, uh, you know, give us a like, give us a follow. Plenty of options and ways to follow along with uh, who we have coming up on the program. Uh, our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. We love hearing from our listeners. So if you have a suggestion, maybe a question, a, 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 anything regarding content, uh, just a, just an overall statement about the show, feel free to send us an email. That's the best way to reach us and get a hold of us. It kind of helps us keep everything in order. But if you'd like to contact us through the social media platforms, that's perfectly fine too. We would love if you gave us a like on our Facebook page uh, or a follow, if you will, on Twitter. It just kind of helps uh, helps us grow, if you will, and helps us spread, spread the word about the podcast. Uh, every night before an episode is due to be out, we try to put a picture of the upcoming guest on the program on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, just so you guys know kind of who's coming on. It gets people maybe a little excited that we promote who's coming on and they can put a face with a voice the next day. So brief description just to kind of get the ball rolling with our subject matter, if you will. So that's why we have a lot of uh, social media posts in that regard. I talked about email. Send us one in. We'd love to hear from you. Also, there's a way that you can have your voice heard on the Get Home Safe podcast. Uh, You can always do so in an interview like we had today with Billy Hayes and Scott Root tomorrow. But if you just want to send out a quick question or a comment about something that's going on, you can go to the Anchor app or anchor.fm. We know guys listen to our podcast on a lot of different platforms, but if you use any of those uh, ways to listen, anchor.fm or the Anchor app, you can look for our podcast, Get Home Safe, look for the green message button, send us a voice message. It's a one minute limit, so uh, be sure to make sure... (laughs) sure in that time frame but it's just a way that uh, we can play your voice message on the air much like a caller calling into a radio program and then i can give my answer right after that bill barnes is on every single wednesday he loves hearing from fans and from guests or excuse me from listeners so if you want to send in something for bill barnes make sure it is in by tuesday morning at some point because bill and i typically record tuesday afternoon give or take anyway We'd love to hear your voice. If you want to send us a text message too with a voice message attached to it, that works too. For those of you that know my number, um, that's that's a great option too. I can upload that to the podcast, no problem. And if you don't want your voice heard, I totally understand it. There's plenty of other options. Send us an email uh, or contact us through social media. Lots of options, guys. We hope you uh, enjoyed the podcast and enjoy following us. 
uh, listenership has just grown tremendously and we get all kinds of likes on Facebook and, and hearing from people is our favorite thing because it tells us that people are listening and they enjoy certain content and kind of gives us an idea of what to continue to talk about. So looking forward to our conversation with Scott Root tomorrow. Thanks again, Billy Hayes. A lot of fun catching up with you. And don't forget our great Suds with Studs segment tomorrow before the interview with Scott Root. So a lot going on, a lot to talk about. Look forward to you joining us tomorrow. But guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. <laughs>